Hello and welcome to season two of the HLab podcast by the Harvard Law Entrepreneurship Project. My name is Ben Ho. I'm a three-year-old Harvard Law School and I'm your host. This season of the HLab podcast is made possible by our sponsors, Cooley, Dominic and West, and Auric. You're listening to our mini-series, Pivots and Personalities, where we interview current and former lawyers to learn about their critical career moves, passion projects, and other interesting stories. On today's episode, we speak to Yvonne Claude Pierre, a partner at Cooley. We talk about the founding of Cooley's Chicago office and how the firm makes such a big decision. We also discuss his career and experiences as a diverse lawyer and what partners and law firms can do to create space for and retain their diverse lawyers. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to stay up to date for the latest episodes. All right, let's get started. Hi, Yvonne. Welcome to the HLEP Podcast. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I, I should start by sharing with our listeners that this is obviously quite a big moment for me because, you know, the first time we met virtually like this, you were interviewing me for callbacks over OCIs. And, you know, I was yeah, very you were nervous. I was very intimidated and I, I walked away thinking I bombed the interview. But here we are having a different kind of interview and I'm still trying to redeem myself. So <laughs> and you're interviewing me instead of me interviewing you. I know the tables have turned. Yeah. Right? I, I remember calling some of the Cooley lawyers I had grown close to and told them, oh, my God, it's over. I can't believe it. But here we are, you know, getting to talk about this right now. Yeah, that's great. Well, so can, can we start by having you introduce yourself and telling us about what you do? Yeah, that's probably a good place to start. <laughs> um, well, my name's Yvonne Claude Pierre, or YCP is, is sort of what I'm known around uh, the law firm and the business community. Um, I am a corporate lawyer in, at Cooley. Um, I reside in the New York and our new Chicago office. Um, and my practice really focuses on representing sort of later stage um, private companies and then taking them public, um, pursuant to their, doing their IPOs and then representing them as public companies. Um, but I also, you know, represent sort of investment banking investors or investing in companies. So it sort of runs a little bit of the gamut, but it's pretty specialized in those areas um, and doing sort of public offerings and things like that. So, okay, so you already mentioned it, but what are your main practice areas and what does a typical day look like for you as you go out doing this? You know, I think my main practice areas are, are like now, currently mm -hmm. in this downturn, I would say my main practice areas are to represent my clients on corporate matters. And so mm. I represent executives and board members in connection with their decision making with respect to the business to the extent that the company is having issues whether it be, you know, missing earnings. Um, these days, there are some, you know, some crises that are going on. Um, and really just advising them on their strategic transactions, usually complex, um, whether they're entering into partnerships or licensing transactions with other, with vendors or um, with other parties, and also doing um, acquisitions. So representing companies in the sale of the company and also representing some of our buy side clients with buying other companies. And so that's predominantly my focus. I would presume when the markets turn a little bit and you know when IPOs um, come back, um, I have a, a nice pipeline of IPOs I've been working on. Um, as you probably know, Cooley is a, the leading firm in IPOs in the tech and life sciences area. So it's a very active area for us. It, it's a little slow right now. Interesting. So you mentioned buy side. So I, I'm, I'm guessing these companies you tend to represent are more mature. Are they private? Are they public companies? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, buy side companies tend to be a couple of things. There are companies that are public and they buy other companies um, and as part of their 
public companies, so they can use public securities as well as cash and debt financing. And then you have what I would call in token acquisitions, which are private companies that are later stage that are buying, either merging with a bigger company to make it a bigger company or just buying smaller companies. Those are called token acquisitions. And, you know, I do a fair amount of those too. Wow. Okay. So I imagine that every day is different and eventful, but what does a typical day look like if, if you can kind of pull it together a general theme? I mean, a general day looks like, you know, I wake up and, um, you know, I go through all my emails. I have a a lot of emails every single day. I grab my coffee and then I get to work. Usually uh, it's a, uh, I have meetings, whether it's a board meeting or another meeting internally, whether I'm doing something at Cooley. Um, and then from there, uh, helping, you know, the, reviewing a document. So there may, for instance, yesterday I reviewed an engagement letter mm. for one of our clients um, with respect to a transaction, licensing transaction they're doing with a big pharma company. Um, and then after that, I had a board meeting. Um, and then I had calls from different CEOs and different um, general counsels on a myriad of issues. Wow, the eventful life of a partner. I, I'd love to hear you know, how you decided to practice doing exactly what you're doing. Was this something you figured out along the way? Did you know from the beginning? I think, you know, when you're in law school, you, you don't know what you really want to do. I do know that I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I had started my career after college at Ernst & Young, and so I was an mm -hmm. accountant. And then from there, I went to work for TIA Crest, where I was a financial advisor, and then I went to law school. And while in law school, um, I went to University of Buffalo Law School. Um, that law school had a tax program that's extremely well known, um, that is very, very difficult and hard. And so there are like 30 of us in the whole class that is just doing um, high level complex tax boxes. Wow. And so most of those people, all 30 of us, I would say, you know, ended up at New York City law firms, big firms, Rockwell and the like. I actually ended up at Dr. Proctor and Wood. Hmm. And that was a firm that was a leading firm in sort of securitizations. And securitizations are, you know, sort of pooling of an asset and then selling securities off that pool. So mortgage-backed securities, for instance, mm. something you guys might have heard of. That was sort of one of the catalysts in, in the last downturn, if you guys recall. Yeah. Um, and so um, when I started there, I, I worked on the Citibank account and I did every month different mortgage-backed offerings, billion-dollar offerings. Um, and then, you know, there was a period of time where it was a little slow in that, in that practice area around January. And so being someone who can't really sit still, always wanting to be busy, I meandered downstairs to the corporate finance department. And at that time, the corporate finance department did not really IPOs, but they did immunizations, which is an IPO of like a thrift, a bank. Mm -hmm. um, and so one day um, they did an IPO, it was like one of their first IPOs that they had done as a law firm for a company called IXNet. Mm -hmm. um, and I was asked to be uh, the lead associate on that. And it was a tech IPO and I worked on it. And I was like, oh my God, this is like what I want to do for the rest of my career. And I, you know, I was doing well there, but I, I really wanted to do IPOs and do more capital markets work. So then I ended up leaving the firm and going to a firm that had, uh, was in the top league tables for IPOs. Wow. So it was, it was really a result of practicing every day and then figuring out this is what you wanted to do. You got attracted to the IPO process. Yeah, it was that. And it was also, you know, I didn't really see myself as a black 
uh, partner, you know, uh, mm. having the ability to generate any sort of client in the banking area. The banking area was very, very um, traditional uh, or old school. It was very, very country clubish. It was very, very mm. um, older. Uh, the, the the CEOs were older uh, white men, and I, I just thought it would be sort of a challenge. But that being said, I really loved doing the IPO work, so I wanted to do that anyway. So I, and, and I really loved doing tech, and I really felt that tech was the future. Um, and I felt that that was going to be an area where it was going to be growth. And I didn't really think there was going to be growth in that other practice, the, the, the banking practice there. I thought it'd be anemic. Um, and I like growth. I like speed. Um, and, and, and the tech industry provided all that. Wow, that's really exciting. And I'm definitely going to be coming back to the diversity issues. But before we get there, I wanted to ask, how closely does what you're doing today compare to what you expected in 1L? When you're a 1L, it, it, it's, I do not, law school, to be fair to law school, you know, I think law school after second year is, mm. is unneeded. Um, <laughs> but, 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 I mean, I think it prepares you for spotting issues, mm. being able to analyze issues, being able to come to conclusions. Um, for complex matters. I think law school is a little bit still more geared towards litigation. Um, I know that there are different classes, like I took Corp Finn and Sec Reg and those things that were really great, but on a day-to-day level, um, other than my Corp Finn, my TAC, my securities mm-hmm. regulation classes, I don't necessarily think that, you know, what I thought I'd be doing um, had any correlation to what I was doing in law school. So the, the YCP in 1L or even law school in general would probably be really surprised at what you're doing right now then? I knew I wanted to do corporate law. I knew I wanted mm-hmm. to do deals. I knew I wanted to do IPOs. I think at the time, I remember, you know, that was, you know, I'm dating myself, but that was back in the day when Amazon was public and the stock mm-hmm. was trading at nothing and people didn't understand the stories. But there were all these new technologies coming up, whether it was Amazon, Facebook, you know, you name it. There were all these and I thought like it was it was a great renaissance, a tech renaissance where you saw all these new sort of um, companies that are sprouting. And I wanted to be part of that excitement. I wanted to be part of that new technologies. And that's what I do today. Like a lot of my clients are doing very disruptive things. They're disrupting industries. Um, and that's what I like to, to do. I like to work with clients and companies that are just doing complex things, but disrupting industries, making change for the better. Some might say for the worse, but I think it's always for the better. That's awesome. Really exciting to hear. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the things we, we haven't really discussed much on this podcast is the business of the law. So I'm really excited to get into it. I, I believe Cooley just opened its Chicago office about a year ago, right? How are things going right now? The Chicago office was uh, a project that I led. Um, and I worked with our vice chairman, Mike Lincoln, uh, on that project and obviously mm-hmm. other people at the law firm. Um, but yeah, that that was a project where, you know, it took a lot of thought and effort in the sense of we need to understand whether or not that market was ready for a law firm like Cooley, sort of the leading tech and life sciences law firm, mm. um, whether or not there was, you know, sufficient work, whether or not the mindset of the people were ready for this, for a tech renaissance, um, because the Midwest was very you know, heavy industrial. And so it was important for us to see that these industrial companies were, were changing course and morphing into being more tech companies. And I would say, you know, I spent months doing research on that very issue, whether it was mm-hmm. anecdotal research, 
um, our empirical research and talking to people in the community, um, talking to investors, bankers, mayors, governors, you, you name it, we sort of ran the gamut. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we opened up an office um, with all the people we wanted. Um, we wanted to, we always open an office focused on the areas where Cooley is best, where, mm. where, where our strengths lie. So clearly our strengths lie in a few areas, you know, so obviously we started with emerging companies, venture work. And so we had, you know, we focused zeroed in on three emerging company partners that were the leaders in that space that we've worked with before um, in, in the Midwest. And then from there, we um, focused on capital markets and IPOs, um, where we did a bunch of work. Then we focused on privacy, um, and we, we picked up a, a privacy partner. And then, you know, after that, we also focused on M&A, and we, we, you know, we hired an M&A partner. And from M&A, we went to focus on litigation, um, litigation being M&A litigation, also white collar litigation. Um, and so, you know, we opened up, I think, with nine or nine partners um, in various practice groups. And, and then we added employment also. Hmm. Uh, and and all the things that our clients need to support a tech my sciences company. And today, you know, we had planned on having an office the size of probably 20 to 30 people in three to five years. We have over 50 people now in that office. Wow. So the, the, the thesis played out. Um, the, the need for a leading tech and life sciences firm was necessary. Um, the reception in the Midwest and, and, um, uh, from our clients that we had there, we did a significant amount of business there. Hmm. Um, but I think at the time we opened, we were number two in emerging companies. And I think now we're number one. Um, well, I know we're number one. And then, um, with respect to IPOs, you know, I think we were number three. So, you know, there haven't been many IPOs. We'll see what that ferrets out. I'm pretty sure we'll be on top of the leaderboard there too. Um, and on M&A, we'll continue to build that. And on litigation, we're, we're still sort of building that. So we built a full service office right now on day one. Um, but now it's very, very um, deep um, and embedded in the true Cooley sense of what a law firm or a law firm office looks like best for us. Wow, that is really exciting. You kind of preempted a lot of the questions I was going to ask. I mean, opening an office in a new city is a really big business decision. You've already covered a lot of the considerations, but are there anything else that you like to mention about what goes into Well, it was a really big consideration because at mm. the time we were doing it, it was in the middle of COVID. Mm. Um, and I always believe that, that the best opportunities are in the darkest time. That has always been sort of my mantra. Wow. Um, and you know, stepping back a little bit before I joined Cooley eight years ago, I was the head of a, of a, a global head of a corporate group at another AMLAW top 30 law firm. So I had a big corporate group. Um, and so the way that I lead and the way that I look at leadership and look at opportunities is really five years ahead. Where do I want to be five years from now? Um, what do I want to do five years from now? What do I think our law firm to be five years from now? What are some of the issues that are going to impact us? Um, and I really felt that, you know, the Midwest, along with our chairman, Joe Conroy and Mike and others, um, that the Midwest was going to go through this renaissance, and which is exactly what it's doing. So before we actually opened up the office um, in 2021, the rankings came out for sort of investing um, in ECVC space. Mm. And Chicago, that was the busiest time ever for the Midwest with respect to investments. 
and the Midwest minted more unicorns that are companies, private companies valued above a billion dollars, more unicorns than the East and the West Coast. So the wow. thesis played out exactly as we thought it would. Um, and so a lot of thought went into that because at the time it was super busy. Everybody was busy, you know, people were stretched. Um, and so we had to make sure that on day one, when we opened, we have the bandwidth to support the mm. client base in the Midwest. Um, not only the clients that people were bringing over, but the entire platform. Cooley's not run, is not a, we're not an office centric firm. Mm. We are a practice group centric firm. Obviously, with respect to emerging companies, for instance, that is more local. With respect to our IPO public company, that's national. M&A is a national practice, privacy national. And most of our other areas are national practices. So you can be in Chicago, but you could be working with someone in New York, someone in LA. Um, it really doesn't matter. That's really interesting. So you mentioned the unicorn statistic earlier. Was that a statistic that was predicted and came true for you? Or was that something that pre like preempted and inspired the move in the first place? You know, it was it was good. It was a good thing to see. I couldn't say mm -hmm. that I definitely saw it coming the the the, the quarter right before we opened. Wow. <laughs> um, but what I did see that was there was a lot of activity in the Midwest. What I did see was one of the things that I truly believe, even in New York, when we went to Hudson Yards, is when government and the private sector are trying to do something together and getting along, you should invest in that period, end of story. So when in Hudson Yards, for instance, when there was a decision for Cooley to go to Hudson Yards, I was one of the biggest proponents to go to Hudson Yards. The people were, there were a lot of naysayers, but I said, if they're running, they're going to run a train line. The city is spending billions of dollars on a train line to an area and the private sector is building buildings mm. that will become one of the hottest areas. And it has. So all the naysayers were proven wrong. Um, and we have our offices at Cooley and Hudson Yards in a brand new, beautiful building. And mm -hmm. as you know, a lot of law firms, a lot of businesses, a lot of tech businesses are moving to Hudson Yards. So that prediction was right. In Chicago, it was the same thing. It, it was the fact that, you know, industrial companies, in order to survive, need to turn to technology, need mm -hmm. to have more tech-enabled services. And so it's inevitable that that is going to be a burgeoning market. Oh, wow. So you, you, you and some of the leaders of the firm saw an inflection point where it, it seemed like there was a need for disruption and it was coming anyway and time to just jump in. Yeah. And, and not only was time to jump in, but there was no other leading tech and life sciences law firm in the Midwest. Mm. So, you know, one of the things that you guys will hear, you know, when you, if you become a corporate lawyer, um, I know you're Ben, you're going to be, but I, for your audience is, uh, and your founders, for uh, even a founder of a company, first mover advantage, key. Mm. That's one of the things that we put in our prospectuses to the extent you have it, is a first mover advantage. The ones who move first are usually the, the winners at the end of the day. That's mm. the way it is, right? I mean, there's no different whether Amazon moved first, everybody's trying to do the work, but Amazon was the leading one and they're a BMF. Apple, same thing you could say for that, that company. They moved in an area where they were able to design and define an iPhone to do many, many things before everybody else did. People have caught up, people may have surpassed, but they still have great market share. Oh, that is really interesting. We always think of first mover advantage in the context of a business that moves first. Uh, I, I never thought about it for a law firm, but a law firm is a business anyway, so that makes sense. Well, for, it depends. A lot of lawyers are lawyers. I try to pride myself on being a business lawyer. To the extent that I wasn't a lawyer, I would think I could probably still be successful in business. Awesome. So you mentioned in previous conversations that Cooley has its own special sauce. Yeah. I'd love to hear, what does that mean for you? What is Cooley culture and 
How does your team foster something like that in a new office? Do you have special considerations for recruiting? Well, that's a good thing. I mean, Cooley culture is so unique. There, to me, is no other law firm like Cooley. Um, and I think when we were opening up the Chicago office, that was one of the things that was extremely important to us. Um, that, you know, that the people that were joining us understood our culture and would assimilate into our culture naturally, cohesively, um, and understand that, you know, we rode together at Cooley. So, you know, if you think about Cooley, one of the things we pride ourselves are on representing disruptors, but we also pride ourselves on being disruptors. Mm. Um, and one of the, uh, the areas of, of Cooley culture to me is being an excellent lawyer, being collaborative, being diverse, and being entrepreneurial. A lawyer can be entrepreneurial too. And so those are the things that we pride ourselves on um, in a very collaborative workspace. And so if you want to think about, if we want to take each of those areas, we first start with, you know, excellent. At Cooley, you first must be an excellent lawyer. You must be at the top, top of your, of, of your craft. Mm. And that's extremely important. The other thing is collaboration. At Cooley, we collaborate on everything. Partners, we hunt in packs. We don't, we're not, nobody's an individual. If you want to be an individual, there are plenty of firms out there that, where you can be an individual and do your own thing. Um, so we hunt collaboratively. And the collaboration in the sense of when you think about even an IPO perspectives or an S1, Cooley was one of the first firms to put more than one partner on the cover. A lot of firms in the past, they would have the, the partner who generated that piece of business, quote unquote, would be the only person on the cover. That partner may have never worked on that matter. We were, we were one of the first firms to make sure that ev all the partners that were involved in that transaction got credit. And on one of our transactions, we were the first firm probably to do a major IPO where it was three women partners wow. on the cover. And I believe that was Datadog. Um, and that was, that changed the industry. The industry started thinking, oh my God. Um, and, you know, I think that that's important. What fostered collaboration at Cooley is, is different than other firms. We don't have what's called origination credit, which mm -hmm. is like the partner who brings in the business gets all the credit. Um, at Cooley, we're a collaborative firm. And so we work together and we make sure the compensation um, drives collaboration. Wow, that is awesome to hear. Did, did you find any challenges trying to implement something like that in a new office like Chicago? Which, I mean, just open, right? You know, I, I mean, I think there are articles about the opening of that office and, and, what I, and the things that I did. But, you know, I think I spent a lot of time with the candidates, um, making sure they understood what Cooley was and who we were mm -hmm. um, and what they were walking into um, and how great of a firm and law institution. It, it was never going to be anything like what they imagined. Some had been at other firms. Some had been at their firm, their prior firms forever. But never were you going to imagine being in an elite law firm. And it was actually going to be extremely collaborative where partners would work together, where before they, if you asked another partner to help you out, they always said yes most of the time. They would jump through walls for you. Um, that was going to be foreign to them, you know, at other firms, you know, we, you know, I, I worked at other firms and it was always a question of the first question is like, well, you know, before I work on something, how much credit are you going to give me? We don't hmm. have that concept of Cooley. Um, and so that really, really makes life and facilitates a much easier work-life balance. Okay. That's a really good jumping off point because my follow-up to that is, you know, look, Cooley has hired a lot of laterals to the firm over the last two years. 
I'm, I'm curious to hear how the firm has managed to integrate so many lawyers that grew up in different kinds of culture into the Cooley culture. You know, how does Cooley ensure its culture stays the same despite this influx of different lawyers? Well, I mean, I think that one of the first things, first and foremost, is all comes from the top, right? Mm. And um, I think that, you know, our chairman uh, and, and CEO Joe Conroy has always made um, a fact that culture is our secret sauce. And, and that, that goes down to the board of directors and, you know, our committees and all of our leadership. And that is preeminent. If, if, you, um, if you are not a collaborative person, if you are a screamer, one of those people, you do not last at Cooley. Um, mm. Everybody is treated from the top to the bottom, whatever is treated equally. And that, that goes from even my assistant. I mean, I've been with my assistant now for over 20 years. And mm. when we joined Cooley eight years later, she said, you know, Yvonne, if you ever leave Cooley, I'm not going. She's, she's like, <laughs> I love this place. And so that goes to show you that um, everybody's treated well, um, including our associates or our partners to our staff. And, and that is one of the things that I love about Cooley is that we are inclusive from the top to the bottom. We work together to make this fine organization. What we hope one day will be the only, well, not the only, but literally the leading uh, law firm uh, for the new economy. Oh, wow. Very exciting. So it seems like culture isn't defined by one person, but as long as the leadership keeps marching to the same beat and everybody keep, everybody has examples to follow then. Yeah. And, and do you think that it's a really good question because I think we, we struggle with it every day in the sense mm -hmm. of, you know, COVID pandemic and people being out of the office yeah. was, a, was really a strain on culture at Cooley. You know, one of the, the strengths about Cooley is us being together, us working together, us constantly being, um, and it, you know, it sounds a little bit odd, but us being together really was one of the fundamental parts of our culture, fundamental tenets of our culture. And so when we weren't apart, it was very, very difficult um, for people. Um, and it still is today. So our, you know, return to office is a big thing at Cooley. Um, we don't demand it, but, but we highly recommend it because that's how you learn. I mean, you learn by being next to the partner who's, you know, you're walking into their offices, you're asking questions of your colleagues, your other associates who've done it. It's really, I mean, I think that it's a little lost on, you know, the younger associates, how important it is to actually have time in the office just to, you know, bump into you in the cafe, right, Ben? I bumped into you in the mm -hmm. cafe. We started having a chat and I said, hey, Ben, I have this client, this um, blockchain client. I don't really know anything about it. Like, I want you to be involved in that. And, you know, when you come back, they're going to be ready and waiting for you to, to sort of work on. Those are the sort of things that would have never happened if you weren't in the office. Oh, yes. I, yeah, that's a great, great way for me to ask this too. I am really curious to hear in this remote world, I mean, over the last few years, what aspects of the culture do you think were managed to be preserved and what do you think was lost? Well, that's a good question. I, I think what was preserved for us was our collaboration. Um, whether or not we were in an office or not of an office, the collaboration never waned. Mm. Um, and that was important. The other thing was, was literally just having empathy for your associates. I remember the last year when we were extremely busy, as a senior, more senior partner, you know, I don't tend to do draft board resolutions or minutes. It's, I mean, my billing rate's probably too high for that. Mm -hmm. But my the associates were so stretched that I was doing 
work that, you know, junior associates did just because to help out the team. It's all about team at Cooley. Um, and if the team is suffering, I can't be sitting, you know, idly by, you know, sipping tea and crumpets or whatever, which <laughs> I don't do, but, 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 but I didn't have a better example. But I mean, you don't want to understand what I'm saying. Is it like, you know, if the team is stretched, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon the entire team from top to bottom to help each other out, to balance it out. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a work-life balance that, that we at Cooley pride ourselves on. We at Cooley really feel that if a person is a whole individual, meaning all aspects of their life are fulfilled, they're mm-hmm. going to be a better lawyer. They're going to be a better person. They're going to be a better human. And they're going to bring that into the office. Um, and so, you know, things, things, some things are important. You know, going out and having a life and exercising and hang out with your friends and, and coming back and traveling the world, experiencing things. All those experiences of diversity and culture are critical to servicing our clients. Mm-hmm. Tech and life sciences clients are much more, I'd say, advanced with respect, probably with respect to the workforce being diverse. And we pride ourselves on being a diverse law firm. Mm-hmm with diverse experiences to best serve those clients. Wow, that's awesome. So sounds like the spirit of collaboration was still there, uh, but maybe some of the interactions that would be more serendipitous in the office is maybe not available in an online world then. Well, I, I think I think because we, we are so, because we spend so much time together at Cooley and in the office, and obviously we all have vacations, is that when we were all holed up at home, mm-hmm. it was very lonely. And I mean, Zoom, Clearly, Zoom was a big factor in, you know, helping that out and keeping people connected. And obviously, we represent Zoom. We took them public mm. um, and they're a big client. Um, but it wasn't, you know, necessarily it didn't achieve all the outcomes and fulfillment that people need. People really need connectivity and to be together and to break bread, and to spend some time together and to have face to face interaction. I, I think with all one of the things with people think that technology will replace everything. I don't believe that. I think that there are just certain things that because of who we are as individuals and humans that we need. And one of the things we need is to collaborate, to be together, to celebrate together, to have time together face to face. And I don't think that will ever change. And I think that you'll see it even in our clients. You know, in the past, there are many times where clients would sort of say no to going to events with you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now you're not seeing that. When you go to an event, it's always crowded. When you ask a client out to lunch, they want to go. They want to spend time. When you say, let's go to the Yankee game, nobody says no <laughs> um, or whatever. In the old days, they would say no because they had, you know, they had probably been to a bunch of Yankee games. But now mm-hmm. people are looking to get out and to actually interact with others again. That's awesome. And you know, you spoke about diversity er- earlier and I really want to get into that right now. So Yvonne, we had a really mm-hmm. good conversation when I was in the New York office with you. I'm not sure how much I can mention it here, but the gist of it was the percentage of, the percentage of law firm partners with diverse backgrounds is growing, at least compared to where things were decades ago. But like you said back then, this didn't happen by accident. Someone had to intentionally make it happen. Can you share with our listeners what you meant by that? So, I mean, I, listen, I think that it's gotten a lot better, but I mean, I still mm-hmm. think at the end of the day, there's a lot of work to do. I mean, I'm one of the only black capital market partners in the entire country, probably the world. I mean, I, you know, there may be maybe two or three others. Um, so that has to change. We, we need to nurture 
um, that. But I mean, in the past, it was a very, very country club sort of mm-hmm. atmosphere at law firms. Unfortunately, um, a lot of, you know, diverse uh, individuals didn't have access to country clubs, right? Country clubs at one point barred um, people of color from joining country clubs and people from religious backgrounds from joining country clubs. You know, when I first started, it was still a country club world. And I actually joined one of the country clubs. I was a member of Scarsdale Golf Club for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, it, when we joined, we were the only black family at Scarsdale Golf Club. So wrap that around your brain. And then so law firms weren't that different. Law firms have gone through a real change where probably a more of a focus on being intentional, on making sure mm-hmm. that there are opportunities for people of color um, to be able to be hired. Law firms, you know, started hiring. But to be fair about law firms, law firms, I don't believe did it voluntarily. I think law firms are sort of forced into it. I think corporations were like, we want our law firms to be more diverse. Wow. And for many years, people had signed um, diversity standards and goals and corporations and law firms would sign them. But the words and actions never lined up, in my opinion. And it, it, it didn't. It was like people would sign them, nothing would ever get done, and the numbers were just abysmal. Then what ended up happening was it started to get a lot better. They had some more law firm leaders had it, you know, being intentional about it. And by that, I mean also women. I mean, having more women be in partnership, have more minorities be in partnership, have more minorities and women be, be in leadership. That was extremely important. And so what ended up happening was, was during COVID, the George Floyd incident happened. And that was the, to me, almost a catalyst and a turning point where like law firms had been doing it. Some had not been doing it, but where business said, you want to know what? This has got to end. Where there was more of a focus on that. And unfortunately, the country was in a very, very different state, right? I mean, it was, mm. I felt the company at the time was sort of ripped apart. Um, I think that, you know, there were people feeling nervous about their position in our country. And so they were reacting. And unfortunately, from George Floyd, you had anti-Semitism, you had, mm. you know, um, rise, you had, you know, violence against Asian Americans, you had all this sort of stuff. And it was all sort of underlying underbelly um, of that. But I mean, there was a political environment that was extremely toxic. Um, on both sides, Democrat, Republican, it's extremely toxic. It was like we found ourselves being a country of extremes, um, extremely left, extremely right. And most people sit in the middle. And I think that that was a point in time where a lot of leaders were, were saying, we're going to make change. We are going to make change because of the fact that out of something like that, there could be such abysmal racism that occurs that we need to change. And we used to, we need to use our power, our purchasing power, any power that we had in order to make that change. And with, with that, it, but it was already happening in law firms, but it really, to me, accelerated where it was a focus where you started seeing, you know, certain massive um, companies or large accounts saying like, I need you to have a diverse team. It would always be in an RFP. Don't get me wrong, mm. always be an RFP. And people would always comment on what they're doing for diversity. And that was sprouted by corporations. But at the end of the day, I don't really think that like the corporations at the time like looked at the RFP and said, like, well, you want to know what? If you don't hit our metrics, you're going to lose business. Mm. That didn't happen until I would say two or three years ago, right? Two years ago, where you had big corporations like Citibank, for instance, saying, hey, it, and I only know that because we won. Um, a diversity award from Citibank. But the reason why I knew that was because when I went to, to pick up the award, you know, you had the general counsel saying, mm. 
if you don't hit these metrics, if law firms do not hit these metrics and they service us, they will lose our business. That's very powerful to law firms. That means law firms want to change. I wish it was a little bit more natural where law firms earlier on wanted to change their ways. But again, it was a very country club, um, you know, environment. And I think that it wasn't conducive to wanting to change and to letting people at the table. I, I think that's changed. And I hope that it continues to change. What I would like to see change is a little bit more change in leadership. If you still look at law firm leadership, I don't think that it, they're diverse enough. And when you think about, for me, when I went into the Midwest, I was super focused on making sure that I had a very diverse office. I was intentional about it. I was leading the project. And so it was going to be on me, um, so to speak. And, you know, I'm, I went about it in an intentional manner. And, and we now, we just won an award. We have the most diverse law firm office in the entire city of Chicago. We have the most diverse law, off, law firm office at Cooley. Um, and that's something to be very proud of. We just won an award for being the most diverse law firm of a big law firm you know, in Chicago. And, and that's going to continue to spout. I think at Cooley, one of the things that we do is we try to lead in many areas, like I said before, but one of the areas where we are leading and where we want to continue leading, we're not patting ourselves on the back, but is in the area of diversity. Mm -hmm. um, but as we, you know, diversity is very complicated because you can hire diverse lawyers, but you need to support them in all organizations. You need to support them. You need to mentor them. You need to provide them avenues. They can't be floundering. Um, for me, though, you know, when I was coming up, there were a lot of exceptional um, black lawyers that had gone to Harvard. A good friend of mine Harvard, got the amazing schools, and they didn't make their law firms um, mm -hmm. for a plethora of reasons. Um, but I was just a little bit more tenacious about what I wanted. Like as you asked, you know, I think you asked you know, what led me that I always knew I wanted to be a partner. And I, you know, at times, you know, you get disillusioned and you go interview for in-house counsel jobs. But for me, I knew I always wanted to be a partner because I felt that being a partner at a law firm and being one of the best partners at a law firm and having a voice was going to allow me to make change. On the diversity front, I wanted to make change myself, Mike Lincoln, a partner, Joe Drayden and I, and Alexander Knight, who's in our business development department, we formed many years ago, the Black Executive Network. The Black mm -hmm. Executive Network was literally formed solely to make sure there were going to be opportunities for um, people of color or black people to have the connections that, that the majority had. So meaning, you know, the, the connectivity between CEO, general counsel, private equity fund, all black executives bringing them together just to network. And we formed that in D.C., um, I don't know, in 2016. And from D.C., it grew to San Francisco and then New York. And then we had one in Chicago. And last summer, we had a great event in Martha's Vineyard. And from that Black Executive Network, it grew to we have um, an Asian Executive Network and also Latino Executive Network. And what is that doing? That is a law firm affecting change, not only in the legal industry, but in the business industry. And that's what I'm about. I'm about mm. change all across the board. People have an equal opportunity. And so for me, it wasn't just about changing the law firm world. Yeah, we're definitely trying to do that. 
but it was also about changing the business community because the business community and the legal community are equally tied and equally yoked. So at the end of the day, they have to be symbiotic in their desires and goals. And if they're not symbiotic in their desires yeah. and goals, then there's always going to be friction. It's kind of like the public and private sector thing. If they work together, things get done. When they don't work together, things don't get done. Well, that was such a rich response, so much to unpack. But what I've been hearing from you this time is that change happens intentionally, uh, not really passively. And the change started coming from the corporations and not necessarily the law firm. So I'd like to go back to you as a young associate. You know, you, what were some of the things you had to do to overcome these, I guess, challenges, mental roadblocks? Because you said you wanted to be a partner from the beginning. How did, how did you go about doing that then? You know, one of, one of the things that it's interesting you asked that question. One of the things I will tell you is, is that number one, you have to believe in your own excellence, first and foremost. Okay. Yep. You have to believe in your own excellence. Then you also have to be patient, have a thick skin. You can't react to every single thing someone does to you. Mm. You know, along the way, I can't even begin to explain to you some of the things that happened to me as an associate because I was a black associate. It was, it was abysmal. Some, some of it was embarrassing. I won't even repeat it here. Mm. That being said, I always had a thick skin. I didn't let that get underneath me. I didn't let it sway me from my goals. Um, and that stems from, I had read, and I, I, I'd read a Harvard study, Harvard business study, that said, if you write down your goals every single year, at the beginning of the year, and you go back, you look at your goals once a quarter, Hmm. You are like 90% more likely to achieve your goals. And so I started doing that in law school when I read this study. And I'd write down my goals every year. And at one point, I had had goals before I left law school. And all my goals were written down. Hmm. My personal goals, my health goals, my professional goals. And I remember, I don't know, maybe when I was a junior partner and um, my ex-wife had found the list that I had hmm. and it was an old list from what I wrote to her showing on my list, you know, as a third year associate, our third year or three out. I mean, and I had shattered all those goals, shattered. Them. But one of the things I did was every single year, every January 1st, I write down my goal every single year from that point on since I was a three out. Wow. So write down your goals consciously manifest them and believe in your own excellence. Correct. And the other thing is, is like, you can't be afraid. Don't be shy. Too many people mm. sit in the background and want things to come to them. I'm not one of them. I go after what I want. I have my goals and I go after the goals. So you have to know what you want, number one. Number two is, you know, if you want to be a super successful lawyer or a business person for that fact, you have to treat your, your, your job like a career. You can't treat your position like a job. A, a job is something you go to, you make some money. If you treat it like a career, you're going to invest in yourself. So investment takes time, right? So when you, you go to a law firm and you have these brilliant minds that are there, at, both from clients and from your colleagues, you should be a sponge. Like you should want to sort of invest in yourself and you want to educate yourself and find out how you become a better lawyer, whatever you're doing, whatever you are. You have to, I read, I spent so much time as a junior lawyer taking what was called the red book home, which is of the securities laws and just reading them on the weekend. Mm. You know, if you want to go out there and play PlayStation every single day or whatever, <laughs> those games and just be on, that's fine. But it, it's not, you don't just go to work and you go spend 
eight hours or 10 hours at work and be like, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You're not done. Like at the end of the day, if you want to get better or something, you want to be excellent, something you're going to go home and you're going to use your own personal time to invest in yourself by learning your craft. And if you talk to most partners, most of them didn't just, when the work day was over, they didn't just end work. When they had time, they would read cases. They would figure out different ways so that they were ahead of themselves with respect to that. And so I think that that's critically sort of important um, that, that, that sort of people do that. You, you really have to invest in yourself and everything that you do. Mm, that's great advice. Thank you. So now that you are where you are, what are some of the things you intentionally do to create space for diverse lawyers? And what are some of the things that law firm partners can do to help create more space for their diverse associates? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things I'm, I'm doing is I, I do try to make sure that, that I spend time with our diverse associates um, and I'm a resource for mentorship. Um, and to be fair, I, I don't just do it with respect to cooling diverse associates. I, mm. I you know, for, for who I am, um, Ben, as you know, I, I get outreaches on LinkedIn from a, a plethora of students and mm-hmm. other associates. And so it's important. So for me, for instance, you know, when we opened up Chicago office, I invited all the summer associates um, in the city of Chicago from all firms, all major firms, um, black to come to us. We had a cocktail hour. I also invited partners to come just to network just so they get people could know and have people they could turn on. So that's one of the things I'm doing. You know, I'm heading to London uh, Sunday uh, for, for work. And, you know, I'm going to take out some of the associates there, the, the black associates and some the lunch. And so I, I just try providing a sounding board mm. um, for them. And then the other thing is, is, you know, the intentionality. I mean, I, like I opened up, when I opened up that office, you know, I, you know, was really focused on that office being diverse and, to be fair, when I joined Cooley, you know, I joined Cooley from my other law firm to really help Cooley build their New York office. And when we had, when I joined Cooley, I think we had 90 lawyers in the office at the time. Um, and I, we have over 250, almost 300 lawyers now in that office. So it was a little bit about, you know, making it And then, you know, when you walk around, Ben, you, you know that firm, you know, you know our office. It, it is a very tech-forward, tech-centric office. Um, with all sorts of gadgets, but it's also a very collaborative and very diverse office. And I think that, you know, that's one of the important things at Cooley. Um, and I, you know, along with my colleagues, try to make sure that I foster everybody, um, but I do pay particular attention to people of color and women. So another question I have involves retention. Firms may be able to hire diverse associates, but it's quite another thing to retain them. So I'm curious to hear if you have any thoughts about what firms can do to increase retention of diverse associates. I think, number one, a couple of things. Number one, mentorship, mm. monitoring them, making sure they're getting good work. But also, it's also not easy. I mean, I, I think that Cooley, the, the caliber of associate that we hire is so high. I, 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 I probably could never have gotten a job at <laughs> at this point, when I heard some of the study, you know, some of the, the stats, you know, it is um, a very high bar uh, to get a job at Cooley. And because they're a high bar and, these, and, our, and our associates are so excellent, we find a lot of them, you know, being coached by our clients. And, you know, you can't get mad at a client coaches. So I personally recruited two associates, uh, black women from Harvard. They joined us. Um, 
And one uh, left us to go work for Sheryl Sandberg uh, at, and uh, Facebook. And what are you going to say to that? And then another mm-hmm. one left us to uh, go to Apple. And, wow. the, you know, I think they would have had a place at Cooley long term. But at the end of the day, they went and found different kind of packages. And so there's a, there's a push and pull with respect mm-hmm. to diversity and keeping diverse people. Because if you're diverse and you're super talented, then you have a lot of opportunities that people want. you. But that being said, mm-hmm. the law firm's job is to nurture you, to make you the best lawyer you can be. Because at the end of the day, when you leave Cooley, you continue to be part of the family and you represent Cooley wherever you are. That's comforting to hear. Do you have any other advice to share with associates about what it takes to be successful? I think people really need to understand that it's a, it's a complex world there are, and that they're a part of solving the solution. Mm-hmm. So a law firm can do all that it can, but one of the, my biggest pet peeves is when associates or even summer associates don't ask questions. I mean, I, I think that every associate should go into a partner's office and ask them questions. What did you do when you were young? What can I do better? What could I improve upon? I mean, like it is, again, it's treating it like a career and understanding whatever you, whatever knowledge you get from people is mm-hmm. you're baking it in your brain. And that's going to have value to somebody, whether it's internally at a firm or externally somewhere else. And if you continue to invest in yourselves, you know, your skill set gets better. And I think that that's sort of an important thing and in, in understanding that like when you go into a firm, ask questions, try to understand, try to figure out, you know, where you could fit in, where you could be helpful. Mm. You know, I think currently um, one of the areas where, you know, we haven't been able to really keep associates because all clients, what in, in the, um, the crypto, crypto and blockchain in that space, you know, our associates come in and a lot of them know mm. about that more than the partners do. Wow. And clients see that. And, you know, we haven't been able to retain most of them because eventually the clients just pulled them out. Even one of our partners um, who was a leading force in that area, you know, he, you know, way ahead of the curve and he's gone now too, because, you know, he is now the president or CEO of a, of a big crypto company. Mm. Um, crypto is not doing well right now, but it'll be back. I mean, crypto blockchain and, and other currencies will will rise and, 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 and be something. And, you know, I think corporations are, again, helping with that, you know, accepting, mm. you know, um, cryptocurrencies to, to make purchases. Once that once that changes, I think it's it's hard. It's a catalyst. It's hard to, to sort of change the dial. Well, that's, that's a really great way to transition to our last segment there. I wanted to ask you, you know, this last two years, especially busy for the tech industry and also for the legal profession. We're now entering a bear market. You know, we're, we're seeing some of the fallout here. What are your thoughts for this period we're really heading into? And how do you think it compares to the previous cycles? What do you think is going to happen? Number one, I think last year, things were so on fire mm. that the problem with our, whether it's internally or externally, is that people always are like, well, you know, last year we did X. So next year we need to do more. I don't believe in that. I think last year was such a ridiculous anomaly that going back to normalcy means that we're going to have lower earnings, we're going to have lower revenue and the like. And I think that it's time for corporations and law firms to invest in their people and to hold on to their people as long as they can, to the extent it makes financial sense, because the markets will come back. There was no way that it was sustainable 
I think that when the Fed was pumping all that money into the economy, printing all that paper, it was inevitable that, that you know, the chickens came home to roost. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is in life. I, but I do not think that this downturn is going to be as long or as hard as previous downturns. Because those other downturns, there was a capitalistic event that occurred, you know, that was very like, whether it was fraud in the mortgage industry or, you know, you name it in the, the last downturn. This downturn is really trying to, the Fed is trying to get us back to normalcy. So increasing interest rates and the like. And the only reason why we're sort of down is because nobody knows what the valuation should be, right? I think the valuation concern of like, where do you invest? Where do you value? The debt markets are anemic. And so I think once we have that, I think next year we're going to come out of this a little bit more. I don't necessarily think the first and second quarter is going to be great. But by the third quarter, I expect to see a little bit of a truth falling, maybe earlier. And by the end of uh, the fourth quarter, you know, I expect to see things to be a little bit more normal. Mm. Life is a set of highs and lows. You're going to have some highs, you have some lows. Hopefully, mostly you're in the middle. But when you have mo- lows and you have things that occur to you that are tragic or things that occur to you that are super disappointing, the mm. question is not necessarily they occur to you because everybody goes through challenges the question is like who are you as who, what's your character who are you as a person and how do you see yourself getting out of that do you see yourself getting out of that in a good way in a mature way in a thoughtful way because at the end of the day good days always come again it, at the end of the day life is cyclical and so for me when people have challenges you have to sort of rise up and again Believe in your own excellence, yes. which gets you out of everything, right? And really understanding of how you can be beneficial, where your sweet spots are. And to also be thinking ahead. Everybody should be thinking about what they want to be doing five years from now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not thinking about what you want to be doing five years from now, you're doing something wrong. Like, right. you should be thinking about where would I want to be five years from now? Every single day that today, I'm already, like, people are still thinking about 2022. I'm gone. I'm already thinking about 23 and 24, 25. Hmm. 22 is done. 23 in my mind is done. Hmm. I'm thinking about 24. And so if you treat your life and your business, your career in a way that's very thoughtful and that is forward looking, you're always going to be okay because people can't really knock you down because you're ahead of them. Right. Because the average person isn't thinking like that. Just remember to write them down and manifest them every day then, I guess. Well, I mean, you can write them down and I don't necessarily (laughs) manifest them every day, but it gives you structure. Mm. You know, it gives you structure to understand what are, what is it you want to achieve in your life? What is it you want professionally and personally? And it could be as, it could be as mundane as like, I want to do soul cycle three Mm. times a week or, you know, whatever, cryotherapy or whatever, whatever your thing is, your passion is. Passion outside the office fuels passion inside the office. Wow, if you're not okay. happy outside the office, you're not going to be happy in the office. You're going to bring that baggage into the office. Again, the vice versa too. If you're not happy in the office, you might not be. You might bring that baggage home. Hard balance to keep it them separate, but they're not separate. They're not mutually exclusive. And so oh. I think it's really important to make sure that you hone who you want to be internally and externally and give yourself balance and invest in yourself and believe in your own excellence. 
That is, that's a really important thing to share. I just want to jump in and say, so what you're sharing right now is it's so important to maintain some kind of symbiosis or balance in your work and Correct. your work life and your personal life without which you can't be the best version of yourself. Correct. That's actually right. That, that is so good. Thank said you. Said better than me, Ben. Ben, said better than me. Exactly. No. <laughs> well, uh, so speaking of, of all of that, I, I'd love to hear, you know, whether it's something you've written down for yourself or just for the firm in general, what are things and opportunities you're really excited about right now? looking ahead to this economy and the next? Well, I mean, since you have a vast audience here looking, hearing this, I don't really want to share all my nuggets of, <laughs> of knowledge um, and my crystal ball. Um, listen, I think that the world is going to continue to be a tech-enabled firm world. Um, I think technology is inevitable in all areas, whether you're doing oil and gas, environmental, you name it. Um, Technology is going to be an important thing. But I would just say that there's such a level of entrepreneurship and fuel in this country. Mm-hmm. It is not in every other country that there are going to be burgeoning technologies. And it's okay that your path may not lead you directly where you want to go. Sometimes you got to go a little side to get to where you want to go. With that, you know, I think that when you start thinking about the future and like what areas for me i'm focused on what's the new tech mm. what's the what's the new thing what's a new drug what wh- what is you know who who's doing what where are they doing it why are they doing it how are they doing it why is it different than other people what makes you think you could be a leader in this mm. i'm sort of looking for those sort of things and looking to um one of my dreams is to take for instance uh an all black management team of a company public wow, before nice. I retire. That would be amazing to me. Still searching for that. Wow. That, okay. That, I, I'm just getting inspired right now. I'm thinking about that for, for my own career, what I want to do. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, I had such a great time talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to our next conversation. It was great. Thank you for having me. Um, for all your audience members, you know, by all means, if people reach out to me, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if you have other questions um, that you want to ask me, you know, just link in me or send me a message. And Ben knows where to find me. And uh, Ben is, uh, I, we were super excited to have Ben at Cooley. I'm sure he could have gone to any firm, um, but uh, we're excited to have him at Cooley. Um, and he, you know, you sort of exemplify what we want. We want people who want to come to Cooley and do the things that we do and to be excellent in every way. Wow, thank you so much for that. That's really high praise and I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to season two of the HLab podcast, proudly brought to you by Cooley, Bemick and West, and Oric. We'd like to thank our sound engineer, Joe Blim, and of course, Yvonne, for taking the time to share his journey with us. Join us next time for another episode from our miniseries, Pivots and Personalities. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thank you and see you next time. This podcast is a production of the Harvard Law Entrepreneurship Project, an officially recognized Harvard Law School student organization. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Harvard Law School or Harvard University.